0: Welcome to Everything Imaginable, a podcast for curious minds on KGRA Radio, and here is your host, Gary Cochulillo.
1: Welcome everyone to another episode of Everything Imaginable. I'm your host, Gary Cochulillo. Today we have Olaf Phillips on the show. He's a conspiracy theorist extraordinaire and author of the secret space age, secret space programs, breakaway civilizations, Nazis, UFOs, SDI, and alternative three. Thanks for coming on today.
2: Oh, no problem. No Uh, problem at all.
1: So this is, um, you know, a really interesting topic that I haven't really been able to, um, I haven't really talked about yet on my podcast, which is the secret space program. Um, Can you give my listeners a little background on what it is?
2: Oh, boy. (laughs) Easier said than done. Uh, Basically, it's the idea that there is a space program that exists beyond the public space program. So you see that kind of public, governmental, commercial space program that exists. You know, Elon Musk is is uh, launching rockets at SpaceX, you know, NASA's launching rockets, ESA is launching rockets, the Russians, you know, everybody's kind of launching rockets. We're going up into orbit, sending probes to Mars, sending probes here, sending probes there. The idea is, is that there's another covert space program that exists, that's doing things in parallel, albeit, I would argue, a little, uh, more sophisticated um, but they they kind of function autonomous from each other and they have a different agenda than the public space program so that's kind of the basic idea of it right
1: and um what would that agenda be is uh and who are these people is is it a private endeavor is it a
2: government endeavor Mm -hmm. well um you know there are as many answers to that as there are people with theories, right? That everybody's got a theory. Um, for my 10 cents, um, I believe that it's a governmental program. Um, I don't think that it, well, first of all, you've got the kind of public face, uh, right? NASA, ESA, um, the Soviet or Russian Space Agency, etc. cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, their, their objective is to explore, is to push the, the envelope of science. Um, Elon Musk is trying to make money. You know, that's the commercial guys want to mine asteroids and and uh put up you know communication satellites and satellites and all kinds of stuff. On the covert side, <clears throat>
3: um
2: I think that it's it's governmental in nature, but I think it's pan national. I think it's not it's not like we're we're the only ones doing it. I think us and the Europeans and the Russians the Chinese and everybody. I think it's a kind of pan galactic front to further some agenda what the agenda is completely, you know, you see the outliers of the Mm -hmm. agenda. Um, There was a, there's a thing called alternative three that I think kind of plays into it. I think that's the end game of it. Um, But on a day to day basis, you know, it's very hard to divine. Um, I think we've been given clues to it. I think that part of it is, is to defend us. Is, well, part of it is to explore, right? We want to go out in the solar system, go out to the Oort cloud, mine asteroids, you know, figure out how things work. But also, I think there is a mandate to protect us from an, an extraterrestrial, uh, an extraterrestrial group. Um, that doesn't necessarily mean aliens per se. It just means people not from here. Um, that are, are beyond our, our planet or extraterrestrial. Um, could they be aliens? Sure. Um, but I think that there's an argument that maybe they're not, or at least maybe some of them are not.
1: If they're not, if they're not aliens, do you sort of go by the theory that they're they're uh, an ancient uh, human civilization that had left the Earth and uh, have been no waiting for the Earth to repopulate.
2: No, um, actually, what I think is probably maybe a little crazier, but I think it's a breakaway. It's a breakaway civilization that that for for a lot of reasons had to leave and not come back. And I think they, I think that they do exist and that they probe, they probe us to see where we're at, to see if it might be time to try to come home or, or to, uh, to fight it out with us or do something. I don't know completely what the agenda is there, but I do believe that there is a, there is a breakaway group that is no longer living here, at least not primarily.
1: Mm-hmm. But they did live here at one time.
2: Oh yeah, yeah. Absolutely, and and we're not talking about things in the Mahabharata or, you know, some civilization twenty thousand years ago. I mean, we're talking, you know, a hundred years ago, eighty years ago, they left.
1: Hmm. Is this kind of like um, like the reptilians that they say the Nazis were working with?
2: Yeah, um, my my belief is that at some point some some faction or group within the, the Nazis actually left I don't think they were working with reptilians though so. my my theories are a little, a little I know that that's a very popular one and that there are indications that they they um, oh goodness I forget the name of the, the star but the, there's a star that they seemed to be obsessed with but from from what I can see a very small number of them took off and left and went somewhere we're not entirely sure where they went and i i believe that that is venus or at least maybe mars or somewhere else but i think that there are indications that they come back from time to time and i think that when they left they uh they undertook a larger scale eugenics program like they did in world war ii
1: so so the idea is there's there's probably nazis living on another planet and are going to come back
2: correct yeah the, because oh, there there were number there are number of people that disappeared and one mm-hmm. of the interesting things one of the interesting things that, that we see right is that when the, ever since that right
3: mm-hmm.
2: we really don't we really don't do a lot with venus right right, right. We, we just kind of ignore it mm-hmm um but venus is a very interesting place it's about the same size as the earth it's not that it's outside the goldilocks zone but it's not that far outside and we really you know we the russians the soviets sent venera you know we sent a series of probes and then we just kind of called it quits and just focused on everything out and just ignore venus right one of the interesting things that i've never understood is that when we sent landers to venus supposedly Venus has sulfuric acid clouds because it has a runaway greenhouse effect. And if that was true, when Venera and the other probes were sent, the uh, parachutes that they used, so the, the claim is this, is that they would send a probe to Venus, they would deploy the parachute, it would drift down to the ground, and then it would melt after, it was so hot and turbulent that it would melt after, say, half an hour. Mm-hmm. right, and cease transmitting. If indeed it had sulfuric acid clouds, like what we're taught, right, that, that sulfuric acid should have eaten through the parachute because the parachutes they use on space probes are not, at that time, We're not that dissimilar from the parachutes we use for skydiving. So the parachute should have melted, caught on fire. If it was so hot that it would melt a space probe in 30 minutes, you know, it, the the parachute deployment system should have been melted far faster. right? <laughs> but, but it didn't, and it sent back photos and whatever else. There's also a curious thing that happened back in the 50s. The, during the 50s and the 60s, during the contactee movement, there, were, there was a group of, quote-unquote, Venusians that kept showing up, and they were all tied to George Dansky. So George Adamski, it turns out, actually had connections into the Nazi party that he, he associated with members of the American Nazi party during the 40s um, <clears throat> and in the 50s. And he he was the primary contactee and he described the Venusians as being tall, white, with blonde hair, blue eyes, mm-hmm. which was the archetype for what the, the Nazis called the Ubermensch, the, the Superman, that they were trying to build through eugenics. So there's other things like the Benny and Barney Hill story and others, but you know, you start to see a a kind of archetype that exists here where you've got all these Venusians, you know, that are coming here from Venus and they look like, you know, they look like supermen, the supermen that the Nazi party used to draw on all their, their posters and actually created a massive eugenics program to try to create and then, you know, one of the most famous <clears> – <throat> one of the the three most famous uh, Venusians ever was Valiant Thor, Commander Don with two N's because uh, I was just going to
1: ask you about that.
2: Yeah, and Jill. I think her name was Jill. So Valiant Thor was this – you know, I think Valiant Thor had brown hair, but his name was Valiant Thor. So if I'm a Venusian who has no idea of mythology, right, why would I, why would I name my child – valiant god of thunder you know the, the name itself is a dead giveaway mm-hmm. and you know don, don with two n's really you know i know it's a space age but don with two n's really and then jill yeah that's a very like extraterrestrial name you know um and then you you take the case of benny and bernie hill <coughs> you know when they were stopped um as is talked about in the interrupted journey you know uh Barney was armed and he went out and when this ship landed in the first hypnotic re- regression not the subsequent just the first cuz remember hypnosis no matter how good you are it's prone to the introduction of external ideas right you can't really it is suggestive you if you make comments that comment that suggestion will be you know reassimilated into the memory you can't really stop it Well, in the initial regression, um, Barney Hill describes that he left the car and he actually had a handgun and he fired at the UFO because he he thought all kinds of bad things were about to happen. So he shot at it. He emptied the magazine and then they came out. And the person that came out was a redheaded Irishman with a German shepherd. And basically this redheaded Irishman uh, led Benny and Barney Hill through the ship. Introduced them to the crew, right? This is not your typical, you know, anal probe alien abduction story He introduced them to the crew um, Barney Hill described Betty and Barney Hill both described the crew especially Barney Hill who was a combat vet He described them as wearing black jumpsuits with silver piping and peak caps that reminded him of Nazis um, And actually that uniform is consistent with a Panzer a Panzer crew SS Panzer crew in World War two um and he describes them literally as Nazis. And then here comes the red-headed Irishman. People are like, well, why a red-headed Irishman, right? That makes no sense. Oh, and he even said, if I recall, he said that they spoke with a kind of accent, like a German speaking English, right? And um then you have their red-headed Irishman, and that seems out of place. So if if you think that there are Nazis on board a UFO and Benny and Bernie Hill are on it, why is there a red-headed Irishman? Right, makes no Mm -hmm. sense whatsoever, but it does. It turns out that in World War II, that the IRA, who had been fighting the English during World War II, were heavily subsidized by the Nazi party in Germany. In fact, large numbers of people from the IRA, went, the Irish Republican Army in Northern Ireland, went to Germany and were trained by the Germans, by the Nazis, to fight the English because the enemy of my enemy is my friend. So they were trained and equipped by the Nazis. In fact, there was a, a group of them that actually um, fought with the, uh, the foreign uh, regiments that, that uh, fought in the SS. There were actually a number of Irishmen, not a huge number. I mean, it wasn't a very big place, but there was a number of Irishmen that fought in the SS as uh, panzer grenadiers and SS infantry. So, you know, there was there's a deep connection between the Nazi party and the IRA of the 40s. Um, so it wouldn't be inconceivable that if you have a breakaway civilization that left in the 40s, that there could be a an Irishman that had joined joined the fun and left.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: So you know it it, it you and you, they came from Venus. Venus is talked about all the time, you know. So it, it's kind of like it starts to lead you to believe that well, maybe they went to Venus, right? Uh-huh. Also back in the back in the 50s and the 60s a guy by the name of Otto bender who's very famous for writing a book about the men in black Otto bender wrote an article for sega magazine saga magazine it's like a men's magazine of like the 60s you know be a tough guy you know don't wear a shirt smoke marlboros you know that kind of thing Mm -hmm. you know advent and the adventure man of the 50s and the 60s (laughs) well he wrote an article and in it, he talked about the iconography that's actually seen on UFOs and not all UFOs, but some. And if you look at the, the iconic icons or the graph graphics on the bottom of the vehicles, they actually very, they correspond very tightly to known fascist groups, whether it was, you know, a lightning bolt with a circle that was the British Union of fascists or You know, there was one that was very reminiscent of the Italian fascist party led by Mussolini. But a lot of these symbols were very um, emblematic of fascist organizations of the 40s and the 50s. And the other thing that Bender found when he when he did his his uh, research was that a lot of people reported that when they were boarding the UFOs or saw them landed or whatever, that a lot of times they would have like a two digit. Or they'd have like a two character, um, like stencil on the side. It would have two alpha, alpha, two alpha lettered characters and then like up to six or eight numeric characters. And they reported seeing like US, UN, you know, EU, RN, CN, things like that, which correspond oddly to, um, the extensions of domain names now, but back then, you know, there was like UN and then maybe six or eight numbers. And you have to ask yourself that if, if you're an alien, why are you writing things in English? That's not what you would do. And the, the final, yeah, the final piece that's kind of interesting is the, the Marjorie fish star map that Marjorie fish had reconstructed a star map based on, on a Betty Hill's recollections of a map that she saw inside the ship, and the center of that map was actually the Earth, and from the Earth it radi- radiated out in a in lines out to other. There, it was like na- navigation routes to other stars. And the big question there is that if you're an alien, why do you put the Earth as the center point? That when there, it's a funny thing. I, I got this from linguistic anthropology years ago. It's a funny thing that humans, when they humans are very ethnocentric, which means that they're very much like tied to their own uh, larger social group, cultural group. Right. So, you know, if you're from the United States, you tend to orientate the map so that the United States is in the middle. And even though as a continent, you know, we're a big continent, but we're not that big. And you, you shrink down the other continents subconsciously to make the you know the North American continent larger. Well, if I'm an alien and I have a star map, why would I put the earth in the center, let alone label it in English? It makes no sense whatsoever. So there, there's a lot of things about that interaction and other interactions that people have had in Valiant Thor or Commander Dawn with two Ns, it's the space age and Jill and all these things, you know, it kind of leads you to believe that, that they're not aliens from another star or even another planet, that they're from here and they left. And it seems that based on the iconography and the stories and some of the connections of the people involved, that they may very well have been some sort of a breakaway group from of Nazis that had left in the final days before the, the Germans lost the war. Um.
1: So how, how about the um, Nazis that went to, like, Argentina and Antarctica? Right.
2: right. So so, some of them
1: did do that, too. But although there's the Antarctica stuff, definitely seems like there's something there, too.
2: Right. That's base 211. That's the, the Nazi survival method. So the idea was <clears throat> is that they, they skipped town. They went to uh, either Argentina or base 211 in Antarctica. Some people believe that they still live in base 211 in Antarctica. Um, I don't know. The only person that I've ever met who claims any knowledge of 211 outside of the conventional conspiracy theories is Dr. Richard Allen Miller. I know. Okay, in in talking to him about it, he claims to have gone there, and he said that the place was completely torn up, that it, it looked like a massive battle had gone on down there and there were bullet holes in the wall uh-huh. and large amounts of damage. And so the people that the people that were important or special or whatever witness test they use may have left from two eleven to go somewhere else. And then the people who didn't leave to go somewhere else went to Argentina. And you know, there there's a lot of evidence that they went to Argentina. I mean Juan Peron's secret police were trained by Otto Scorzani which was hitler's favorite commando so that there's a lot of evidence of meddling in argentina um by by elements of the the fourth reich so to speak um but they're you know if they got if they got to 211 maybe they a large number of them left and went to venus and one of the that's one option right one of the other things that i i think is fascinating is that in the final days of the war hans Kammler, who was running these the program for the Bell um, at uh, at Darisi? <clears throat> he had he had in his control as I think three or four of these transports or these big, you know, six engine transports. And what I think happened was is that he had taken these transports or no, the eight engine. I think they're eight engine total. Um, but they you know they put the stuff on board. They put the parts of the bell, all the scientists. And then one of the things that we do know is that when they got to Darisi, that a lot of the technicians had been executed. Um, the, The slave labor there had been executed. The concentration camp victims had been executed as well. So he pretty much shot everybody except the scientists and a few technicians and disappeared. And what's odd about those planes is that those planes from Poland um, you know, Czechoslovakia, Poland, where Derisi is, is, um, he could easily make, you know, North Africa, or at least Saharan Africa. And that, that particular aircraft apparently had been used in tests with the smaller version, which had four or six engines, um, that had midair refueled it over Mm -hmm. the, they put a huge fuel bag in the back and literally ran a hose out the back and they had midair refueled the larger aircraft over the Atlantic to test if it was possible. So if they had been able to make it to North Africa, um, and refuel, uh, you know, they easily had the range to actually get to Antarctica or to Argentina for that matter. So, you know, it's totally feasible that they went to Antarctica or Argentina.
1: Interesting. I'm going to have to, um, I was just thinking about um Dr. Richard Allen today, Miller.
2: <laughs> He's a hell of an interview, man. That guy's amazing.
1: Yeah, I'll have to have him back. I never wanna ask him about that. Um so so do you think that they went straight from Antarctica to Venus or do you think they have a sub base somewhere on the moon?
2: No, I think they went to Venus. I think they went to Venus or Argentina. This is one. Of, I know it sounds like it's a buzzkill. What you're going to Argentina, but that's also an option. I mean, it, you know, there were a lot of Nazis in Argentina. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and and you know, I know I know it sounds crazy, Venus. It sounds bonkers, but you know, if you think about the contactee movement of the 50s and the 60s, you know, how many Venusians were there, right? How many um, how many nordics i mean they called them nordics i mean that, how descriptive do you want to make it i mean they call them nordics right right <laughs> but yeah i think i think they left there and went straight straight to venus i mean, if they had anything on the moon i think we overran it a long time ago but again that's part of the secret space program right but mm-hmm. there's clearly installations on the moon and mars that belong to us I, you know i think we go there on a regular basis
1: yeah it it does seem odd that we would just have have stopped going there in the 70s for no reason
2: well yeah and and you know there there are other kind of crazy things that happen like when when neil armstrong and buzz aldrin landed right that they were running low on fuel and they were off target and it's actually quite a thing to listen to to listen to them land because, you know, Armstrong's trying to land the thing and he's running out of fuel and he's, and, you know, Aldrin's reading off the altitude and fuel consumption because, all you know, Armstrong's just trying to get this thing on, on the moon. When they came back, um, Armstrong basically vanished. Like, he became a professor and he really kept a super low profile. And Aldrin, you know, his life got a, a, a little rocky um, for a long time. And... He he recounts. I was watching an interview with him on C-SPAN, and two very interesting things happened on that interview at C-SPAN. Um, the first was that somebody asked him what the moon was actually like. And you know that I, I get I get that it's in awe. I mean, you know, I've never been to the moon, obviously, but I've been other places that are awe-inspiring. That you can't, you know, you you stare at it, you just you can't really describe what you're seeing that it's so amazing. It's like the Northern lights. If I, you know, I've seen them. And and if I tell you, well, it's, it's basically like a rainbow dancing across the sky that doesn't really like explain it. Right. It, it, it's better than that, but it's kind of, but, You know, those are the words that I can use. Or if you've ever seen a firefly, you know, fireflies to me are very magical (laughs) because it's like, how do you explain a little bug that, that, that glows Mm -hmm. flying around? I can explain to you that it's like a little bug that glows that's flying around, but that doesn't really like capture the, the amazement of actually seeing it. But, you know, he could at a minimum say, well, it was rocky and beautiful and, and you know, whatever. Well, he describes, he went to this dinner party and somebody asked him, you know, what was the moon like? And he said that his his mind went completely blank. And the only thing he could think of was magnificent desolation. And then he got sick and ran to the bathroom and vomited. Now, if you've ever done anything, any kind of research into mind control, that, that is a trigger response. That basically he got asked the question, triggered a response and the response was, okay, we told you to say magnificent desolation. So it says magnificent desolation. Then they give you a, they give you an, an action, which is to get out of the situation. So you don't have to explain it more, which was him running to the bathroom and becoming ill. Right? So right. I took that as a kind of mind control kind of thing. But um, the other thing that was weird that happened on that call or on that interview, was that at one point, and again, this all ties back, but he, he, he cut the interviewer off and he said, you know, I've got to say this because, you know, Aldrin's a huge proponent of sending people into a space, not probes. And as am I, but, you know, send people, not probes, you know, have the adventure of it all. Maybe they die, maybe they don't, but, you know, we need some adventure, right. Especially now. and he said he said you know there's a monolith on one of the moons of mars and he said i don't know who put it there you know god put it there the universe put it there who cares who put it there we've got to go there we've got to see it with our own eyes we've got to analyze it and figure it out and then he starts going you know going off on this this line of thinking about this mysterious monolith, monolith on phobos i think it was and then the interviewer cut him off and um and brought on a a call in that asked them about how an airlock works Mm -hmm. and they basically shut it, shut him down. So Aldrin knows far more than what he says, but I think that when they were on the moon, I think that they were off target and they, they potentially saw one of the facilities or remnants of it or something happening. And I think that they were conditioned. And I think that Armstrong's response to that was just leave me alone. I'm just going to go basically be a hermit. Who comes out once a year says, "Yeah, Apollo was awesome," and then goes back into hiding. Uh-huh. And Aldrin, who was more more of a party animal, I think they can they conditioned him at least at that time. They conditioned him to deal with it. So yeah, definitely. And and the Army and the Air Force had plans in the late 50s, uh, called Horizon and Lunex, to actually put bases on the moon. In fact, the Soviets did as well. It was called Svezda. So yeah, I think we're on the moon for sure.
1: Um, yeah, I, I also heard about bases on the moon from John Lear. Have you ever right. heard any of his theories or saw any of his pictures that he's uh, put out oh, there? Yeah.
2: Absolutely. I think that his, his presentations that he's done about mining operations on the moon with the t- tailing piles and the uh, the tracks is fascinating. Where I deviate from, and I, I think John Lear is very interesting. I, you know, I've talked to him a few times. But um where I where I diverge from John Lear is about aliens having a base on the far side of the moon and capturing our souls. You know, I'm not so sure about that part, but but definitely mining bases and, and some other facilities, absolutely.
1: Interesting. Yeah, yeah, John John is definitely an interesting guy. I I I've he talked is. to him too and um Yeah. But well, he's also a little temperamental.
2: <laughs> he is. I actually met. I went to a. I went to a party in the desert called Desert Blast in the late nineties, mm-hmm. and I met. I met John Lear, and he's very nice, but yes, very temperamental, very aloof. Yes. probably the word I would use. <laughs>
1: um, how about you? know, this is on this topic. Um, Edward Mitchell. You know, he he had claimed to have seen some. Uh, Strange things well, he was in space,
2: correct, he did some strange things too. The, the other thing you should talk to Richard Allen Miller about is that um, he said he was telling me while well, he was telling us about the doing ESP experiments with Edgar Mitchell while he was in orbit. Mm-hmm. So you should definitely talk to him about that. but yeah, Edgar Mitchell, you know he he said he saw UFOs while he was on while he was in the capsule in orbit and in, in space in general absolutely i mean a lot of people have in fact nasa nasa itself has a thing called the tlp transient light phenomenon that they catalog where it's spontaneous weird light uh, mo- that astronomers see moving across the surface of the moon they actually catalog them so it, it's definitely a thing
1: yeah i i forget who it was too i think it was maybe a, a russian that was on a um in a space on a space station who had uh claimed to see like angels outside or something that looked like angels
2: yeah i i heard that um i don't remember which com- cosmonaut it was yeah i don't either but i i went to a lecture by a guy named Georgy Gretchko who had the record at the time for the longest amount of time spent in, in orbit on mirror. And he he said, he told me um, to my face that he, he saw stuff that he doesn't know what it was. He was unwilling to make a guess as to what it was, but he said, you know, when you're up there, it's kind of like talking to an airline pilot, right? If you ever talk to an airline pilot and they say, well, have you ever seen a UFO? They'll say no, right? But if you say, well, have you seen weird stuff? And they go, oh yeah, sure. And then they tell you these stories especially the long haul pilots that go, you know, coast to coast or they'll fly to Europe or Japan or whatever. They'll tell you crazy stories about stuff they've seen in the, in the air, but they'll never call them UFOs. Yeah.
1: Um, I I have heard rumors too of, uh, you know, just there, there being like other life forms just in the, like in our own ionosphere too.
2: Yeah, I mean, there's the Roswell rods. There's the Roswell rods that people have taken videos of and other stuff. Yeah, and and you know, I mean that that gets back to a larger question of what isn't. You know, this is something that I've actually talked to Dr. Alan, uh, Alan Greenfield a lot about, which is the notion of of the ultra terrestrial, right? That you know, are are aliens aliens? Are they interdimensional? You know, so people have seen sky serpents and flying humanoids and all matter of things. But, you know, are they ultra-terrestrials? Are they aliens? Are they humans from an advanced civilization we don't know about? You know, there are stories of a a Tesla super city in the Andes. You know, underground, people who live underground, the whole shaver thing. So, you know, it kind of goes it kind of runs the gambit as, as far as what they are. But yeah, definitely. It's possible.
1: Um back back to the Venus and the Nazis. Um mm-hmm. you know what what worries me about that is them like going to Venus and creating a super army and coming back and wiping everybody out.
2: Right. And and that's that's the argument of why STI exists, the Star Wars Defense Initiative. Why that exists? The the Soviets built an SDI system as well. In fact, they the last one that I'm aware of they launched was the Polyus skiff back in the 90s that supposedly was destroyed. But you know the the Soviets put up battle stations, like manned battle stations called an Almaz. They put up a bunch of those. I mean, we put a lot of hardware into orbit for not worrying about something being up there and. There, there's this, you know, the the big UFO flap of the 50s when the when a a chevron pattern, like a V formation of of strange lights, flew over Washington DC and nobody can explain it. Mm-hmm. You know, I doubt they were Russians. I, I think they were probably Venusians, Nazi Venusians. Hmm. And you have the Kecksburg the Kexburg Acorn, right?
1: Uh-huh.
2: You know, you've got the story of Kexburg. These there's some sort of a tremendous bang. These hunters go out in the forest. They find this acorn-looking thing sitting, you know, sitting in the middle of the forest. The military comes in, seals off the area, carries it out on a flatbed truck under a tarp, right? But the, the hunters said, well, it was the shape of an acorn. Now, these weird hieroglyphs on it. You know, that acorn shape is roughly the shape of what the bell is supposed to have looked like. And the the hieroglyphs that they saw could have been runes. Because we know that the Nazis were at least the SS was extremely occultic.
3: Yeah.
2: And they may have put you know runes to the more more Sir Germanic gods to um, try to imbue it with extra power. So you know th- there's bits and pieces. It it's like a puzzle, right? It's like a puzzle where 90% of the pieces are missing, but you can kind of kind of fill in enough to know that it makes a rectangle. Like you can get enough of the edges to know it's a rectangle. Right kind of like that um,
1: are, are, are you familiar with the work of, of jim mars in his uh writing on the fourth reich
2: you know i read the book a number of years ago um i think i think that there is definitely um a fourth reich culminating somewhere that there's some group of people that would really love to bring it back you know, there's a lot of evidence, you know, on the periphery where you can see that there are groups that are, that are individual groups that have banded together where they, that is the objective is to create a super fat, like a fascist super state. Mm-hmm. So I have no doubt. I mean, you know, how many people do you know that drive a Volkswagen, right?
1: Not money anymore. The
2: Volkswagen.
1: I used to know well, a lot.
2: <laughs> okay, well you, you knew a lot once upon a time, right? Yeah. Well well Volkswagen is the people's car and it, it's a Nazi it was a Nazi company.
1: Right.
2: You know, the, when you when you take an elevator or go on a go on a um an escalator, a lot of those are made by Thyssen Krupp. Krupp was a huge arms manufacturer. You know there are helicopters made by Schmidt who made fighter planes. You know the, these companies still exist. You know some of them, like IG Farben, have changed their names, but they still exist. And the people that that created these companies, you know, were were party members. And no doubt, you know, there there is somewhere some cabal that's plotting to bring it back. I wouldn't doubt it for a minute. <clears throat>
1: do you do you think like the, 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 the cabal that, that exists here that wants to bring back the fourth Reich is in contact with the Nazis on Venus? That they could be working together?
2: If there are if I'm right and there really are Nazis on Venus and I'm not completely crazy, absolutely. I would I would assume they're absolutely in communication with each other. If if it indeed is real and true. They're absolutely in communication. So if
1: if if we're if there's Nazis on Venus and we got Nazis still here, you know, running these big companies, you know, (coughs) and we're we're getting ready to, to to take over the world, I would say probably one of the first steps you would want to do is destabilize some of the world's
2: superpowers. Yeah, that that's a good assumption. I think the other thing that that you also need to to put into this projection is is the whole alternative three thing, because I think that also really drives the secret space program, <clears throat> and I, I think it explains a lot about things like the Georgia Guidestones and the New World Order, this concept of reducing the population of 500 million, you know that if alternative three is accurate and it is a blueprint, which I'm convinced it is you know it, it would present a very um it would present a very nice target because everything would be destabilized and it would be a pretty easy to kind of have a red dawn kind of thing where they just land and get out and they're like okay we're in charge now because there would be nobody to fight them
1: right it would make it really easy oh um, yeah do do you think like like the destabilization is it something that they would do themselves or is it they're just gonna sit back and and wait for some natural event to occur, like Yellowstone to explode or something?
2: Well, I think the penultimate the penultimate end game, there there's going to be some kind of a some kind of an event that takes place. I don't know what But, you know, if you follow the, like I said, the alternative three thing, that there is some sort of climactic event, whether it's Apophis hitting the Pacific Ocean, or, you know, it's earthquakes or Yellowstone exploding, or we go into another ice age just because we do. Whatever happens, there's some sort of cataclysmic planetary event that takes place. And at that point, they can come in and say, okay, we're just, we're in charge now because we have guns. I think that's that's the end game of it. I don't know. I think that they, I think the thing to kind of prod it to make it a little worse. I mean, there, you know, if you take a look at a recent, recent history, right? The last, say, the last year, because we all know that 20, 2020 was a train wreck. Yes. Yeah. You know, you, yeah, you've got, whether you agree with them or not, is immaterial to the conversation you've got a whole bunch of people that are protesting right and then mysteriously you know pallets of bricks show up nobody knows how they got there they're just parked in the sidewalk like magically and it's like things like that don't magically happen you know somebody ordered those bricks drove them over there unloaded them with a forklift and put them on the sidewalk but they just happen to put them where a bunch of people were really pissed off that seems a little too convenient so i think that when you get into these kinds of situations you know they'll they'll push on the right and the left they'll kind of prod factions to kind of take it above and beyond where it should to take what what should be say what wherever you are in the world right to say okay this is a nonviolent protest where we don't like the communist party of china or we don't like the government of the united states or canada or Germany or England or wherever, Russia, wherever it's happening, I think they prod the factions on the right and the left to start to make it more violent, to make it more cataclysmic. And then when that happens, you know, it destabilizes the larger country.
1: Uh huh. Do you think that it's possible that COVID 19 was uh, made as a biological weapon by the Nazis to kind of um, I don't know, be a catalyst?
2: you know i can see how that would work to their favor i don't think so though because because of the way that it spread it would require too much intervention covid the initial covid outbreak where it occurred there's a virology lab there yeah and it's it's not you know it's not 20 miles outside the city i mean it's in the, the virology lab is in the city And it's like, I want to say it's like a class three containment Mm -hmm. facility, which means that they have, they have other strains of COVID, Ebola, you know, some pretty nasty stuff. And what I think, what my suspicion is, is that they were working on some sort of a weapon, like a biological weapon, uh, which is, you know, which is technically illegal, right? We're not supposed to do it. The Chinese aren't, the Russians aren't, but we do (laughs) Right. And I I think that some I think that some scientist or lab technician was working and he got a needle stick and it it punctured his suit and he got infected and he thought, Well, probably nothing will happen. And I'm just gonna go home. I'm gonna go by that market, right? The the crazy market where they said it came from bats, Mm -hmm. eating bats. You know, which it pretty much discounted at this point, but they knew it started around there. So I figure, you know, he could have gone, he or she could have gone by the market on the way home to buy something to cook, went home, infected the family, family infected the friends, and it just spread from there. That to me seems like the the most realistic scenario for the spread of COVID. Um, And then I think what you see is just a bad response. The Chinese were working really hard to try to control it. I mean they had they had medical police that were dragging people out of their houses. I mean there were people dropping down on the streets. They had they have mass you know, they had mass bonfires of bodies. We know from even conventional media that these things happened and they filmed up some of them. But I think they were trying really in control of it. it you know, it's not controllable. I mean at this point, you know, they have vaccines that will works, maybe they will work, maybe they won't. But, you know, they're, they're going to inoculate. They're going to have to inoculate, you know, just in the United States, 200 million people, at least 200 million to get it to the threshold where herd immunity will work. And everybody who's tried herd immunity has failed. It's too, you know, it spreads too fast. I mean, it spreads so well mm-hmm. that it had to be engineered. In fact, you know, a lot of people, even the one guy on CNN, a lot of the people that get it bad, When they get when they are done, you know they have the COVID brain where they say that they can't think straight sometimes. I mean it actually screws with their mind. You know people come out like a 20. I saw thing where a a 20 year old guy got it, was on a ventilator, survived it. They said he had the lungs of an 80 year old. I mean it completely destroyed his lungs. So it, it just seems a little too efficient to not be manufactured.
1: It's it's strange how it affects certain so many people in such different ways. Like I had, oh, yeah. and when I I had it really early, I had it like in January, so before there was even a test for it. But <coughs> right. for me, it was like I, I got hit with like a really nasty fever of like a hundred and five, and right, you know, and it was and it was kind of like almost like a bad acid trip in a way.
2: And well, at 105, you're hallucinating. I mean, all kinds of crazy things happen. Yeah, so I have no doubt.
1: <laughs> and then, yeah, you know, and then it was the puking and stuff. And then it was after that. It was like a regular flu for like two weeks, and then I was okay. Um, but like, too, like I know guys that like were like you know in their mid 40s, and they got it and ended up in a ventilator and died.
2: My what? grandfather, granted, he was 99 years old, but it killed him. I mean it it, you know it it affects everybody in a slightly different way that's why i have a lot of problems when people are like well it's engineered to target certain you know certain group of people or whatever no it's not but its effects change depending on on you in fact there are people that were reported especially during the when it was really going bad in new york Mm -hmm. where they were having histamine storms and basically it, it triggered this massive histamine response in their bodies and it, it literally like coagulated all the blood in their entire body and they they died and when they cut their veins open, like their, when they went in, inside their bodies to do autopsies or whatever, all their blood was like fully coagulated. Uh, it, meaning that, meaning that it, it you know, you know like jello, like it's, right? yeah, it's like jello, it's kind of goopy. Mm. It's preparing to form a scab, that yeah. kind of thing. Yeah, that happened inside their bodies and their bodies just catastrophically failed. You know, nobody nobody that I've seen has ever determined a way to figure out how it would affect you. But it definitely affects different people in different ways. Hmm. Some people say it's a minor, it's like a minor flu. Other people, it's so bad they're on a ventilator. But what it is, is it, it's exceptionally virulent. It, I saw um, a Twitter post By a, by an, um, it was a, um, he was, he was a Harvard, like a virologist or immunologist. And he said that if, that if Ebola, what do you see? It's like, if Ebola is a, if Ebola is like a match, then this thing's like a, like a grass fire. As far as like its, its potency and how virulent it is. He said that if Ebola, which is very virulent, if yeah. Ebola was like a match, this thing's a brush fire it's not it's ten x no it's not and and again, that's why I think that that it was engineered, but I don't think that it was intentional or released. It's just an accident I think so you know i try to I try to use something called Occam's razor mm-hmm. William William of Ockham developed a, a theory that the simplest answer is probably the right one.
3: Right. And that
2: as as humans we have a tendency to make things more com- complex, convoluted and and confusing than they need to be. So the the simplest answer here is that some poor guy you know was was trying to rush so that he could have lunch stick them stuck himself with a needle infected himself didn't realize it went home and died and infected his family who infected everybody else and or even was a passive carrier you know super carriers they call it hmm. and normally a super carrier like a flu super carrier will infect like five people like with covid they infect like 30 to 40.
1: yeah
3: it's that's like
2: the, an 8x increase
1: that that's the other thing i think that's really bad about it is the people that, that catch you but don't show any symptoms and they just walk, are walking around spreading it.
2: Right. And and that's, you know, especially because of my grandfather, you know, I, I just, I'm like, wear a mask. Mm-hmm. You know, don't do not do it for yourself. Do it for the people around you. You don't know if you have it or not. I mean, you can be a passive carrier, so just wear a mask. But I do, I, I think that, that what's going to put the earth into a state so that, you know, say Nazis from Venus, I know it just mm-hmm. sounds crazy every time I say it, but say Nazis from Venus or the Fourth Reich, whatever, wants to try to take over again, or the New World Order, the Bilderbergers, whoever they are, when they try to take over. Mm-hmm. I think what's going to put the earth into that state is something far more cataclysmic than even COVID. I really do.
1: I hopefully, I'm dead by then.
2: <laughs> you and me both.
1: Right. I, want to live I really that. don't I've lived through enough already. Yeah,
2: yeah I, I lived through twenty twenty. I don't need any more excitement for the rest of my life, you know? Yeah, yeah. Save, save I mean, that
1: one for like uh I don't know, twenty fifty maybe?
2: Twenty Well my, you know, yeah, a lot of people's kids will still be alive by by then. Let's say twenty two forty nine. Yeah, something way in the future that it's too far <laughs> to even think about. <laughs> when All they have right. when this super when the super, you know, Skynet AI is taken over, I don't want mm-hmm. them worry about it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, like, like you mentioned, the, I mean the Bilderberg, Bilderbergs, um, right? What about the Rothschilds? I've always kind well, of I thought there's something off about
2: them. Well, you know. I've been at this a long time and you know, the way that I figure is that whether you're talking about, about the Morgans or the Rothschilds or any of these like families that are, are more rich than God, you know, I think, I think, or the aristocracy, I I think they're all a little off, you know, they're all kind of divorced from reality. They're so rich. <clears throat> that they don't, you know, they can't go to the grocery store. I mean, it sounds ridiculous, right? You know, you drive down to the grocery store, you get a cart, put stuff in the cart, push your cart around, go home and make dinner. You know, these people are so insanely rich that they don't even, from, from cradle to grave, they've never been inside of a Safeway, you know? And I think that they lose touch with humanity and reality at that point. Mm-hmm and and they you know they can buy anything they want you know like i heard a story about when um when prince william got out of the military um i think it was when he got out of the military that that the queen queen elizabeth bought him a helicopter just so he could keep flying just because she felt like it like she bought him like a like a I don't know some sort of like 10 or $20 million helicopter just right. so he could fly, you know, yeah, and it's it, like,
1: it's a weird culture. You know, I I, I used to, it live, is. I, I used to live in, um, in New Jersey, you know, near New York and in, in New York, right. like there's this, a whole really, this weird culture of like these, you know, there were the, the children of like these super rich people, you know, right. and, and you know, Right. And, and, and all they are, really are like, they're like socialized, that just sort of like dine out and go to parties and shit. You know? And like yeah. if there's a party, yeah. there'll be a party in, they're in New York one day, like, all right, there's a party in France and then the next day they're in France or Spain. and it's
2: Right. It's, it's like the strangest
1: you, thing.
2: <laughs> yeah, meanwhile, you, me, and everybody else, you know, we have to save for like two years to go to France. Yeah. Right? But they They just get on a jet and fly over there. And, it, you know, I think at some level it, it makes some some of them, you know, not that they're sociopathic, but I think that they're so disassociated from the rest of humanity that they come off being sociopathic. Because it's like, well, I'll just get on my jet and fly. It's mm-hmm. like, okay, I'm glad you can do that. You know, the rest of us, you know, we have to save and save and save to fly economy.
1: Yeah, it's crazy. Um,
2: it is. It is, yeah, it's but you know money they always say that the power corrupts, and absolute power corrupts absolutely, so you know when you get I think what happens, you know, I, I kind of look at the hellfire club as as a model for this, you know, you've got a bunch of rich aristocrats that don't know what don't know what else to do with themselves, so they do things that are really bad and dangerous because they can, mm-hmm. You know, so it's like Richard Branson, you know, he's got so much money now that, you know, he dare, he daredevils it and flies around in these balloons, trying to fly around the world in a balloon, just because everything else is passe. It's like, what, you're going to buy a Lambo and drive 140 down the freeway? Well, I've done that. You know, it's like they push the envelope on what's risky, either physically risky, metaphysically risky, whatever. They do it just because they get bored. Uh-huh. because it kind of no matter what they do to themselves there's usually a way to buy their way out of it hmm. <clears throat> so it, um yeah
1: so so along these lines um uh, what's your opinion on q
2: so i have yet to see q anon publish anything that really happened
1: yeah <laughs>
2: I'm I'm waiting I'm waiting for when when our savior Donald Trump is going to save us all. I mean it hasn't happened.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: You know, there I I think what QAnon, my suspicion I have no evidence of it. but My suspicion is that QAnon is being run by some shadowy group, whether it's the GRU or the Chinese or who you know the Illuminati, the New World Order, they whatever. I think it was run by some shadowy operation to sow dissent because what it's done is it's completely polarized the United States. And, you know, I, I don't, I don't personally care whether you're on the right or you're on the left, but, you know, at this point, it's a very dangerous moment for us. Because, you know, I remember when I was a kid and the Democrats never got along with the Republicans and Republicans never got along with the Democrats. The Democrats say that the Republicans are all for big business and the Republicans say the Democrats are, you know, they believe in social welfare for everybody and they're socialists and whatever, neither of which is completely true. But, you know, there was always friction, but they would cross the aisle to make things happen and they would they would do things they would work together for things that really were important. Now they just try to, they just try to shut each other down. I mean, they, you know, it's cancel culture. They, they try to cancel each other out that the the Democrats won't, the minute that the Republicans front anybody for anything, the Democrats are going to vote as a block to deny it. Mm -hmm. And the Republicans, the minute the Democrats try to front anybody, the Republicans are going to cancel it and shut it down. And it's like, it, it, it basically creates a, a stalemate that's the stagnant. It creates stagnantness in our country. So I think that the QAnon was a way to further activate <clears throat> a small group of people on the alt-right to sow more dissension. And because, you know, the truth is, is that no matter who you voted for, most of the United States is centrist and a lot of people that voted for Donald Trump, you know, they're like, well, I like what he did with China and you know, I like what he's doing with the, with the trade wars. And, and he's putting people who have my conservative beliefs in judicial positions on the, the Democrat side, they think he's the antichrist and that all these people are, are the worst people in the world. But it, most people are in the middle somewhere
1: right
2: they're not they're not extremely right or extremely left you know the margin for what made you vote or not vote for donald trump for most people is very narrow but there are these groups on the right and on the left that are are completely activated and and uh militant and you know there are social situations that happen that provoked the side on the left and there, there are things like QAnon and social situations that provoke the people on the far right. And so then these people come out and they, you know, if you look at, at say, you know, an alt-right group versus an alt-left group, you know, they, they speak for less, probably less than 1% of the Democrats or the Republicans, but most people don't speak at all. So, you know, you've got these people that are yelling louder than everybody else, and then they you know, they activate the people around them that are, are less militant mm-hmm. and just make them angry. And it happens on both sides. So I think that QAnon was one form of that. Yeah. Because again, you know, supposedly Donald Trump was going to save the world and he was going to uncover this massive pedophile ring and all these politicians were going to be exposed and he was going to drain the swamp. and He was going to do all these things, none of which he did. Mexico didn't pay for the wall. You know, <laughs> there's <laughs> he didn't expose anything. You know, there the swamp the swamp got bigger. You know, nothing nothing really changed. Oh. It, it you know, and in, but in, instead of having career politicians that ran the swamp, you know, people that are head of Fortune 500 companies ran the swamp. Mm-hmm. It's still a swamp and it still hurts all the people the other of the population is still hurt by it. Whether you're on the right or you're on the left. There are farmers, there are farmers that got killed by trade wars. They couldn't sell rice to China. You know, they couldn't sell soybeans to Europe because of trade wars. You know, and they they tend to be more conservative. On the left, you know, (laughs) there's a whole laundry list. Mm. But it's like everybody, everybody got hurt. It wasn't like, you know, so I, I think QAnon was. I think on is is contrived. Hmm.
1: I think I know who it is.
2: Well, you have to tell yeah. me. I mean, I have a theory. Yeah, but. I,
1: I, I'll I'll tell you off the air. um I, okay. I, I, I have sent him an invite to be on my podcast.
2: Um, <laughs> Did he accept?
1: Uh, not yet. You know. Um, <laughs> Well, maybe but, if you
2: buy a patch. But he had <laughs>
1: he has done other podcasts. Uh, yeah, he he doesn't actually come out and say who he is. Uh, yeah, but I, I, I'm pretty sure I have the right guy.
2: Well, you know, it only took it only took what 40 years Or the right. We found out say. <laughs> yes, it it only it only took 40 years, but eventually we found out who Deep Throat was in in uh, Watergate. So, you know, it'll happen eventually. <laughs> But, yeah. but what I do what I do strongly believe is that it's contrived, it's contrived and it's designed for agitation.
1: Yeah, I think it's absolutely ridiculous to think that there's
2: so satanic
1: pedophiles running Hollywood. I mean, come on.
2: No, there's some really bad people that run Hollywood.
1: Yeah, of course, there's bad but people I, I everywhere.
2: Exactly, but I don't I don't know that there's part of a satanic pedophile ring that runs the entire world. I, I doubt that.
1: I doubt that too. I mean, there's, there's even, even the like regular Satanists that I know, <laughs> that's not what they're interested in.
2: No, they're not, they're not really they're not. interested
1: in anything. Actually, they're kind of boring. ones that? You know
2: the to. the ones, the ones that I've, I've interacted with. Yeah, they're really they're really not, you know, most of them are waiting for something to happen that they can get behind. It, they're not really, they don't really do a whole lot.
1: No, <laughs> no. a lot of waiting. <laughs> yeah.
2: But I think that's, I think that's true of, of social groups and political groups in general, right? Mm-hmm. There's a lot of waiting, you know, th- when you're part of any kind of an organized political group or religious group, you know you're you do a lot of waiting whether you're waiting for the rapture you're waiting you know for the antichrist you know you're still waiting
1: yeah i can't i couldn't i couldn't do that man i'd just rather be doing something like a podcast (laughs) exactly that's why you do a podcast yeah um so human cloning what do you think of that one Do do you do you think uh I mean, we, know, I guess I'm pretty sure, like, like, I know China has done it, but do you think it's being done here in the U S
2: you know, I personally, as a conspiracy dork, Mm -hmm. I am far less interested in human cloning than I am in genetic engineering. And I just, I just read a, read a, um, A news article where they were talking about these people i think they're going to win the nobel prize in biology and they figure out they figured a stable how to make a what's a what's called a dna ripper a stable dna ripper and basically what it'll do is it'll unzip the the human genome and allow you to modify it and i I think that's far more interesting and dangerous because then you get into this kind of gattaca scenario where you can you know, if you have enough money, you can make your kids smart or you can mm-hmm. make sure they have blue eyes or you can make sure, you know, that they have long fingernails. And and when we or, you know, lots of hair or whatever, whatever your deal is, you can make them tall or short, short or whatever it is. And I think that's going to create a huge problem.
3: I mean, I've on seen, one hand, it,
2: I think that's it could be really fun. Because I oh, I do, too. There was the uh, the Chinese swimmers. Mm-hmm. Um, at the Olympics, that they had webbed feet and they had webbing between their <laughs> fingers, and they had been like genetically engineered to have like webbing. But you know, you have you have to have a totalitarian country that thinks that far ahead mm-hmm. to to try to you know to genetically engineer a swimmer so that they can win a gold medal. I and mean, that that takes a totalitarian state. No, but they're but- doing it.
1: Wouldn't you think like webbing would disqualify them?
2: No, because it's it's not sewn on; it's natural, mm-hmm. and so you're, I, you I I don't think you can disqualify them for a natural, biological feature. I don't think that the the Olympic committee thought thought that far ahead of how to deal with it.
1: Yeah, it's going to be a problem probably with, for the Olympics in the oh, future. Yeah.
2: Well, it's going to be a problem in general. I mean, look at what the Nazis did with eugenics, right?
1: Right. You know, they and if they're if they're doing this on Venus, then we got really big problems.
2: We have a huge problem because they'll be, you know, they'll be immune to acid rain. I <laughs> think we all have to go inside. They can they can walk around in acid rain. Mm-hmm. But no, I mean it's it's a huge problem no matter how you cut it because it, it's like everything else. You know everything has a price. Like everything that you do, there, one of these days you're going to pay for it somehow. And maybe you pay in a good way, and maybe you pay in a bad way. But you're going to pay. Everything has a cost. And you know when you start screwing around with people's genetic, like genetic composition, Mm -hmm. well you take you take the English family, right? That they've been inbreeding for hundreds and hundreds of years. Because, you know, you can only marry people who are part of the aristocracy, right? Because right. they want, they keep it as a closed system. And what's a byproduct? You know, half of them have these like weird genetic disorders, hemophilia, you know, where they can't stop bleeding. You know, they have all these like weird genetic defects because, you know, it's a, it's a closed biological group and there's, you don't have the diversity to make the person stronger. But it you know if you really start monkeying with people's genetics and try to give them wings and and turn them into dragons and shit you know eventually you're going to pay the piper
1: right you know uh, one of the things that that always you know like like i used to, i've had the theory and a lot of people think was, you know like 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 you're worried about like what people might think about your venus theory like right. um, throwing like the uh like uh with the with the shooters the school shooters you know Right. Um, I had my theory is that if you maybe research, I don't know how it would be done, but if we really looked into the background of these school shooters, we might find out that a lot of these school shooters were born as the result of in vitro fertilization, and 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 that it's some kind of side effect of that, or some kind of genetic modification that they're making when they, Uh you know, implant these. fetuses into the women
2: well there there's a funny thing about that there's actually a movie called the boys from brazil and basically it um the premise of the film is that they had pe- members of the For- fourth Reich had infiltrated a lot of these like um places that do invert in vitro fertilization and instead of in- injecting the genetic material the parents they actually put in adolf hitler's like genetic material mm-hmm. and they were trying to either grow like Superman or like little adolf hitlers to try to bring back the fuhrer so you know and that's a movie from the 70s <laughs> people right. were thinking about it back then yeah so i, yeah, I mean it's very, it's very dangerous yeah it's I, not I, crazy you should look at it
1: yeah I, I wouldn't even know where to begin to do that kind of research but uh I I do think there's it, something going on because I mean if we're genetically modifying our food and cloning our food and doing all that just right. just to, to have you know something to eat I I can't imagine what's going on behind the scenes with, with with human DNA and cloning
2: Well the older the older assassins like like the Sirhan Sirhans of the world right they you know there's indications um that they were brainwashed, you know. This Lee Harvey Oswald, Sirhan mm-hmm. Sirhan, Mark David Chapman, and there's a reoccurring theme in those ones of The Catcher in the Rye. That you know they find them reading The Catcher in the Rye after they do the do the murder, or they have Catcher in the Rye on them, or yeah. they have Catcher in the Rye, and they had some obsessive obsessive behavior around The Catcher in the Rye, but somehow. The catcher in the rye is always somehow linked to a, a lot of these people and you take like sirhan sirhan he he claims that he cannot remember actually shooting robert kennedy like he's like i have no recollection of it whatsoever so a lot of those guys were brainwashed um whether and there there are numerous links for oswald mm-hmm. the brainwashing and you know so those guys were brainwashed as far as the school shooters i have no idea what I try to tell people when they have a theory is just start with a simple Google search and just, you know, Google's not, not my favorite, but it is the predominant search engine. So I use it too, but (laughs) you know, just start, start with a search in your favorite search engine and and just go from there. And you'd Mm -hmm. be surprised what you can find. It's actually called open source intelligence. Yeah.
1: I'm always important to point out to people though, it's just a theory, you know. It's an idea. Yeah, I have I have no. nothing to back up any of it.
2: Yeah, but you know what though? At least you're thinking and you have theories and ideas. And you know, when when I started when I started that book, it started twenty years ago that I had I had gotten a twentieth generation copy of Alternative Three and I watched it and I, I thought it was stupid. And it's just a bad B movie from the seventies, you know, and, but something didn't sit right with me about it. And I, I didn't watch it again for a while. And then I watched it again and I'm like, there's something to this, you know, and it, it kind of, it kind of bothered me until I did something about it. And I, one day I just had an epiphany and then, you know, it took me a few years to write the book, but, you know things started to come together. I started to seek things out and try to understand, okay, well, what am I seeing so you know if you have a theory, if any of your listeners have a theory, you know it's good. you should think question you know, don't believe me, don't believe anyone. Go right. figure it out for yourself absolutely nope yeah nobody nobody owns the truth <laughs> you know.
3: and but, you know you but know that's it is good a, to, that's it is a,
2: good to think it's great to think. And, you know, I think that's, I'm, I'm very critical of, of conspiracy theorists and ufology and, and a lot of these spirituality people. Um, I have my own, you know, I'm a conspiracy guy too. I, I like UFOs. You know, I've got a lot of metaphysical beliefs just like everybody else, but I have a lot of trouble because, you know, a lot of, I always say, follow the money that a lot of the, a lot of people that, that do the lecture circuits and you see them at conventions, well, not this year, but in general, you see them at conventions, you know, they're always hawking something. They got t-shirts, they got books, they got this, they got that. And it's like, if they say something that interests you, don't just take them at their word for it. Go seek it out. Go look, go research it, you know, find your own truth. Mm-hmm. And it's like, don't, But a lot of these guys, you know, in general, they say, okay, well, I'm here. I'm important. I'm giving the lecture. I'm right. And you need to listen to what I say. And it's like, well, sure, I need to listen to what you say because I'm interested. But you, you know, you aren't the only one that has the answer. And the the last guy that I heard that had all the answers and and just knew he was absolutely correct, it was Marshall Applewhite, (laughs) you know, and, and Heaven's Gate or jim jones you know Mm -hmm. it it's dangerous to follow somebody and to believe in them absolutely you know
1: yeah yeah for validation you know it 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 definitely um it it hurts people and i think it happens a lot especially um, with religion and politics actually both of them oh yeah you know people just um I don't know what it is. They 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 don't want to question.
2: No, but it's it's what's called the white coat syndrome. That somebody puts on a white coat and you believe them. You know, there was actually an experiment uh, done. I think it was at Stanford where they they got a bunch of test subjects and uh, they would be led into a room by a guy in a white coat and they were told to sit down in a panel and to ask using an intercom to ask somebody in another room a question and if they got the question wrong the answer wrong they were supposed to shock them Mm. and there's just a big red button and you're supposed to just press the button and each time you press the button there's a gauge that would increase that would show the level of electricity increasing and the person that was in the other room you know you you never saw them but you'd hear them screaming when you're hitting the red button oh yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah they would get up to a lethal like a lethal level and the guy in the white coat would come in and say, Oh, don't worry about it. It's fine. He'll be fine. And so they're, they, they believe that they were lethally shocking this poor individual for getting the answers wrong, but they did it because the white coat said so, Mm -hmm. you know, it's just, it's alien to me. I, I go by trust, but verify if I said something that's interesting to you tonight or today or whenever you listen, that's great. You should verify it. Go look it up. Right. Look up yeah. Thor.
1: Exactly. Ask
2: yourself. In fact, he yeah, even has yourself, a book man. out. <laughs> the, the, the right.
1: I, I've read the book.
2: I read it a yeah. few, quite a few years ago. And yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it, his English is awfully good for being an alien. It is good.
1: Yeah. I I, I mean, it in is. the book, he, his motives seem. Almost like altrui- altruistic in a way, you know, more concerned but about utopian, saving humanity.
2: Right. But if this is what I always say about about our space brothers, because, mm-hmm. you know, there are a lot of groups like the Unarians. I love the Unarians, but, you know, they, they believe that, that the, the big circle ships are going to come out of the sky and, and save us all. I haven't seen the big circle, circle ships land yet, and and come out and tell humanity, well, we can we can cure cancer and cancer, you know, give you you know, a room temperature semiconductors and cold fusion that that leaves no byproducts. I mean, it hasn't happened yet. Mm-hmm. So I I think that if I do believe in aliens and I think some UFOs are alien in origin, but I don't think they're here to help us. I think they're here to watch us. I don't think there's some galactic community that cares whether we blow ourselves up or not. I think they're simply watching. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> to see if we do.
1: Yeah. Like so far, I, I really have to say, I don't know at this point. I mean, I've, I've talked to so many people. I've talked to, you know, people who've seen right UFOs. I, I've talked to people that, that have abduction stories. Um, right. You know, and some
2: I, are good and some are bad. Yeah. And, you know, and
1: so, so I don't know. Tr- you know. I have no idea what's going on. But I will say, it's very interesting.
2: You know, I, I met Travis Walton. And, you know, he's a very nice guy. And, and you know, I believe that he experienced what he ex- says he experienced. But conversely, you know, I've talked to somebody else who, who had an abduction experience Radically different than that, you know. Mm-hmm. Travis Walton comes across as being fairly horrifying. Where you take somebody else and like, oh no, we had tea and we talked about the future of the world. They had this global message of love for humanity. It's like okay, but how do you reconcile the difference between somebody right. who was taken against their will, experimented upon, drilled, terror—you know—terrorized. And somebody who had tea with a bunch of aliens said, so, "Well, I've got a, a galactic message for humanity that everything's going to be okay." Right? Now, how do you how do you reconcile that?
1: Well, the way I reconcile it myself is that I, I believe that um, everything is possible. You know, it, it doesn't have to be just one specific way. Uh, we could have totally be, we could be dealing with different groups of aliens. We could be dealing with um, beings from other dimensions.
2: Um, exactly. There, there, there's,
1: there's, there's more possibilities than I could even think of.
2: And that's the right way, I think, to approach it, is that there's an infinite number of possibilities. And there simply is not enough information for us to determine what we're actually looking at. Right. And all we're doing is we're collecting the data and trying to understand it.
1: Right. And even then, I, I think as human beings, being limited probably in our intelligence as to what we perceive with only five senses. Right. We're, we're just not capable yet of, of seeing the big picture. I,
3: Maybe
2: agree you'll never with be you, but I agree with you, but it, you know, it, it ultimately comes back to, you know, there, no one has, no one has a stranglehold on the truth.
1: Right.
3: Like Absolutely. every
2: one of these stories. Right. Every one of these stories, whether you're talking about Travis Walton or the person who had tea with aliens, you know, or was married to an alien or knows who Bat Boy is or whatever. Each one of these stories, you have to take on their individual merits and research them as an individual case. What we end up running into is things like, you know, where they, there are these huge storylines, you know, like Ashtar Command. There's this massive you know, multi-decade storyline of things that are happening, messages, things that have happened that were prophesized and not. And it's like, I have, you know, I got a message from Ashtar Command, so I have the entire solution. And it's like, but we're not at that stage. If, the, if we saw the, if we got the entire solution, we wouldn't even know. And that's why it's important <laughs> to do your own research. Exactly,
1: and, and, I, and I agree with you too. I probably would not know the truth if I saw it. <laughs> because I'm not you know, able to comprehend it all yet.
2: You know, you're not able to comprehend it. You don't know what you're looking for. You know, right. I, I aside from the conspiracy stuff and the ufology stuff, you know, I, I do hermetics. And, and, you know, one of the things that when you do you know, occultism or magic or whatever, you know, you're looking for signs and symbols and synchronicities. And, you know, Greenfield always tells me, is like, follow the synchronicities, follow the synchronicities. Mm -hmm. It's like, you follow them down a path, you know, but the only reason that you know what to look for is because it happens in a serial way. And you have to ask for that to happen in a serial way. You know, before, before I read the, the complete secret cipher of the UFO knots, I had no idea what the number 93 meant. In fact, I barely ever saw the number 93. Uh Then I read it, I read it. And then I started to see the 93s and I followed the 93s. You know, it's, it's a very significant number. And so I followed the 93s the 93s, you know, I'd see a 93 somewhere. I go, okay, well, why am I seeing a 93 here? And I would think about it and I would investigate it. And then I would suddenly understand, okay, what I think I'm supposed to get out of this moment or this place or this thing, you know, and then I would, I would use that and interpolate it and then another 93 would show up and you just Mm -hmm. kind of follow them along. But if you're not looking and you're not thinking and you're not analyzing and questioning, you know, you'll never find anything. And there's, there's a proliferation of material about UFOs and conspiracies and all this stuff. It's like who's right? So you kind of have to follow the synchronicities, follow the signs and the symbols, follow the research. Mm-hmm. I follow the research where it goes. I, I'm not <clears throat> I have no vested interest in where it ends up. I'm there for the journey and then I want to tell you the story of what happened. That's all right. That's really where I'm at.
1: Yeah, that's great. I am also really uh, interested in hermeticism myself too. I've had quite a few occultists on the show. Even uh, I had uh, a lot of Milo Duquette. Even
2: on here. Oh wow!
1: Yeah, he was he was pretty cool. Um, so yes, yeah, good stuff, man.
2: That's some that's some good Enochian magic right there.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, the guy who took over uh, Crowley's organization can't get better than that.
2: Yeah, well, you should talk to Greenfield. He'll tell you some fun stuff too. He's a fascinating interview.
1: I'll have to see if I look him up. See if I can find his email.
2: Oh, I can help you with that. Ah, awesome!
1: I love it when but guests yeah, send me he, more guests.
2: <laughs> well, you know, you know the thing about Greenfield <clears throat> is that he he bridges that gap between occultism and UFOs. Uh huh. You know, a lot of times you get somebody, well, I'm an occultist, I'm not into UFOs, or I'm a u- ufologist, and I'm not into occultism. <clears throat> the interesting thing about Greenfield is that he, he bridges that gap. You know, yeah. he's, one, he's one ufologist of the year, but he was also really high up in the OTO. So, you know, he, he's got that crossover. And in working with him, you know, it's, it's really opened my eyes to a lot of other options like the ultra terrestrials. And that's where you're mixing Enochian magic and you're mixing ufology. You're starting to try to see, okay, well, the you know, UFOs show up in in occultically interesting places and Mm -hmm. you start to see a a bigger picture. It's it's pretty interesting.
1: Yeah, yeah, I can't. I I, I used to separate the two and now I don't. But you can't. You
3: you don't, you can't.
1: Because, because you know, what, what, one thing could be alien from another planet. One thing could be ma- alien from another dimension. One dimension. thing could be alien from another frequency.
2: Well, and, and there's, ask there's yourself, so you, look at, you look at cryptozoology, right?
1: Mm-hmm.
2: You know, I, I love cryptozoology. And, you know, where I live, we have an island called Angel Islands off the coast of, uh, it's in the bay off the coast of San Francisco. And it's it's a damn island, and they've had they've had sightings of Bigfoot on that island. Well, it's an island, so how did Bigfoot leave? Did he swim, or did he vanish? And it's like, I love Bigfoot. I've seen Bigfoot, but it's like, okay, well, you know, how come nobody's ever found a body? Nobody's ever found an encampment. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe Bigfoot is interdimensional. Maybe oh, Bigfoot yeah. is an ultra terrestrial, or the Mothman. The Mothman. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You know, he shows up after a UFO sighting, right? The yeah. original Mothman sighting was after a UFO sighting, and in de- Point Pleasant, they're having all these UFO sightings, and there's Mothman. You know, these things are intrinsically linked. Oh, absolutely! You know, apparently,
1: yeah. Like I had um, Ron Moorhead on my show. He wrote a book called Quantum Bigfoot. In fact, Bob Gillen, there you go, from you know the Patterson built video, actually wrote the foreword right. to it, to his book. And, and he he also kind of goes along that line. He's like, man, you know what? At, at, at this point, you know, it, it seems like it's probably the most the best possibility. He's not saying it is, but he definitely says it's a
2: possibility. Right. Sure, <laughs> I, I think so.
1: I do too. I, I mean, we definitely can't be ruled out.
2: You know, at this point in the game, you really can't rule out a whole lot. I mean, we really don't. Even you know Ivan Sanderson did amazing cryptozoology research. He was he was trained in zoology. I mean the guy in biology, you know he was the he was the cryptid hunter of all cryptid hunters. But you know even he didn't have the answer. There's not there's just not enough information. You know there's no there's no pattern. You know you, you know you know that the Bigfoot is more likely to be seen in these areas, but that doesn't mean you're going to see them and you never find any trace of them hardly. I mean, you find footprints or maybe some poo or something, but you know, people put up like, you know, things to attract them, but there's no, there's no pattern. You know, there are very few patterns and all this stuff, you know, there's the whole thing about what is it? The 27th parallel, yeah, uh-huh. you know, the ufo superhighway that's a pattern and and it makes you wonder okay why are there more ufo sightings along you know the i think mean, it's the 27th parallel why does that happen you know you can start to make some make some estimations of that yeah but then you know you go out to skinwalker ranch and they have cryptids ghosts ufos you know it's like okay where do you start <laughs> so to me the, the ultra-terrestrial, the notion of the ultra-terrestrial, it really works for me because it's like, okay, well, how did Bigfoot get off that island? It's not a very big island. If Bigfoot was living there, it would have been seen on a pretty regular basis. Yeah. I mean yeah. people are all over that island all well, not right now, but generally people are all over that island all the time. So if Bigfoot lived there, you would know it. And in order for Bigfoot to swim from there, the bay is really cold and full of sharks, so I really don't think he swam it. <laughs> so how did he leave? UFO pick him up? Did he open a portal? They he open an Inokian portal like to would? Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, who knows? That That's why you got to really keep an open mind.
1: Yeah, yeah. And, and, I, and I'm, gonna, I'm sort of assuming that you're probably around the same age I am too. And, you know, like like growing up as a kid, like, everything was sort of about physical evidence. And then like, i like, maybe yeah. around 20 years ago or so, you know, quantum physics sort of started opening up a whole bunch of other possibilities and kind oh, of sure. just threw a lot of that stuff out the door. And it just created like all kinds of possibilities in all these things with cryptozoology, with, with magic, oh, yeah. with UFOs, the whole, the whole thing just got broke wide open. Now
2: it really did you know for for me that happened about about 30 years now Mm -hmm. it it happened in the 90s maybe 25 30 years ago but yeah i mean you know and this notion of entanglement you know and like even vibration like this idea that certain people have, have a vibration that are more on the same i wouldn't say level like hierarchy but just more of the same state as you and it's like you know you meet that person and they be you're like instant friends and you're friends for life and it's like okay why do you like everything the same no but sometimes yes but it's like there's something comforting about them and it does it all come down to you know just pure biology I don't think so I think it has to do with that their their vibrational frequency is, is the same as yours or similar to yours. And so you when you're around them, it's harmonious and you just that's why you want to be around them because when you're in their space or they're in your space, you know, things just click easier because you're you have the same harmonics. Right. You know, but but we wouldn't have been there. And that's a kind of quantum entanglement argument. And we wouldn't have been there 20 years or 30 years ago because we didn't understand quantum entanglement. You know, so, you know, if quantum entanglement exists, like it exists with the trees, it exists with people, dogs, cats. You know, I had a cat once that thought it was a dog. It had grown up around dogs, didn't grow up around cats, thought it was a dog. But, you know, the dogs, for whatever reason, I had dogs. We introduced the cat in with the dogs. The dogs didn't bark at the cat. The dogs didn't chase the cat. The dogs knew what a cat was. But, you know, the cat, that's that's nurture versus nature, right? The cat grew up thinking it was a Mm -hmm. dog, so it was a dog. But the dogs knew what a cat was. And for whatever reason, the three of them were harmonious together. They used to sleep together in like a ball, you know? It was really (laughs) weird. And it was like, they shouldn't do that. And you notice that some dog, sometimes a dog will find a cat that it'll, it just gets along with. It's like, how does that work? Well, it works because for whatever reason, I think that the vibrational rate of that dog and that cat is similar, and it, they like being around each other. You nice. know, because the dogs, the dogs should have chased that cat out of the house. Right. Because they chased every, they chased every other damn cat, but that <laughs> one. So explain to me, explain to me, you know, there's that old joke about when pigs fall from the sky and dogs and cats are like, you know, like getting along the world's going to end. It's like I saw a dog, a cat and two dogs, like create a little family and it, it shouldn't have happened. They knew what a cat was. They didn't like cats except for that one. How? Probably because they were all in the same kind of vibrational state. Probably. You know, they yeah, they felt comfortable around each other, and and you know what I mean. You yeah. bump into that person; and it's like for what male or female it doesn't even matter. Mm-hmm. For whatever reason, you're just you're on the same wavelength.
3: Oh and yeah, you're just yeah. In,
2: instant friends for life, and you can trust them. They trust you, and you know it's all goodness. But it happens and sometimes. Very
1: it, a lot of times, you sometimes you just know it like right away too. Oh, you, yeah. You don't even have to talk to the person or really get to know the person. You
2: just know. Right. You just know. And, uh, and you know, distance, time is irrelevant. And But it's also very rare. You know, most people, it's kind of like you have a jigsaw puzzle and they kind of fit in, but in into the piece, but you've got to kind of wedge it in there a little bit to make it fit. And then there are people that just slide right in. It, it's very strange, but yeah. but quantum entanglement explains that.
1: It does. It does.
2: It does. It explains a lot, actually. It, it re- actually really does. <laughs> quantum theory, quantum theory, and string theory, actually, it made the world a better place, I think, yeah. except for CERN. <laughs> <laughs> I actually
1: have, I, I, I have one friend who's actually working on a book on quantum theory.
2: So there you go.
1: I, I can't wait till he finally gets it out and I can have him back on.
2: Yeah, that'll be interesting.
1: Oh, <laughs> yeah. well, I mean, we've done other shows, sort of on it. If you go back through my shows, his name is Rob Shelsky,
2: uh-huh.
1: and and we did quite a few shows on it. But but it's gonna be good when his book comes out. I'll definitely have him back. Um, yeah,
2: it's interesting stuff. Yeah.
1: So I'm gonna wrap this up, man. Uh, thanks for coming on today.
2: Oh, no problem. Thank you for having me. I really enjoyed um, it.
1: And where can my listeners find you?
2: Uh, com. You can find me on a Facebook. I'm on Facebook, uh, Paranoia Mags on Instagram, even though I haven't been road tripping because of COVID. So my Instagram's a bit old now. But um, once uh, once we get past this COVID stuff, I'll be back road tripping and putting out more photos and my adventures to weird places. And So... Easy to find. Very easy to find.
1: All right. And now what I'll do too is I'll post uh some links in the bottom in this in the notes of this episode to your website and, and to your books on Amazon as well. Well, thank you very much. Awesome. And everybody again, this was Olaf Phillips. And uh thanks for coming on.
2: Thank you for having me.
0: And let's see Thank you for listening to Everything Imaginable on KGRA Radio. You can reach Gary at everythingimaginable2020.com or email him at everythingimaginable2020 at gmail.com. He's also on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. You can buy t-shirts, coffee mugs, and other merchandise to support the costs of producing this podcast. Click on the merchandise link at the top of his page www.everythingimaginable2020.com Oh yes, I almost forgot, you can buy his book, Enlightenment Guaranteed. It's the only book on Zen that you'll ever need, and it's on Amazon. It'll change your life, because remember, everything that exists was first imagined. Hey, if you love what you listen to, don't forget, rate, review and subscribe.